that is, I would say, controversial in that so many people, I don't think, agree with this. And that is what the problem is with humanity. So in God's story, God's epic story, what is the problem with humanity? And the the biblical answer is sin, rarely. But that is a basic truth. You very rarely hear people talk about. Even people, though I truth functionally denied by most obvious that this is the problem. What's wrong with humanity? Sin is the problem, but that is functionally denied by most people. There are several popular schools of thought about what's wrong with humanity. Lots of ways you could answer that question. One says the man's real problem is that society has failed him in some way. So uneducated. And if they were properly instructed, they would be a lot nicer and they wouldn't do bad things. That's one popular opinion. People just don't know any better. So society has failed them. Another popular opinion is the problem is poverty. Poverty, they say, causes crime. And if wealth were spread around more evenly, if everybody wouldn't take things that don't belong to them, people wouldn't do bad per- perfectly. So everybody was equal and everything was sh- eliminate ignorantly. So basically, I think popular opinion would say would be eliminated. The, the problem with that is when you think about it, the rich and the educated do just as much bad as the impoverished and uneducated. They still do bad things. It doesn't really matter what someone's station in life or their education level. They still do bad things all the time. G.K. Chesterton referred to the Christian theology which can really be proved. I think that's true. It's the only part that can really be proved. Understanding the doctrine of sin The biblical teaching on sin not only helps you understand the world and the problem and what's going on in our world, it helps you understand yourself and why you do the things you do and the problem inside of you. It is a basic foundational biblical truth that we're going to see problem with humanity. D.A. Carson said this. He said, you cannot make sense of the Bible until you come to agreement with what the Bible says our problem is. If you do not see what the Bible's analysis of the problem is, you cannot come to grips with the Bible's analysis, gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't understand the doctrine of sin. You cannot understand why Jesus came and what he did and what the cross means if you don't come to agreement and grips on what the problem is, both with humanity, but also with yourself, what your problem is. Scripture from beginning to end is consistent with our problem, and it all begins in Genesis chapter 3. Last month we did Genesis 1 and 2 and creation, and beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 6. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, so he was, he was lying about God. God didn't say that. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, slight to the eyes, and that the tree was to, was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so it begins. All of our problems. Beginnings. This is the beginning of our problems. It explains so much. It explains so much of our world, so much of the Bible. It explains why people do the things they do. It explains God's judgment, which we're going to read about throughout the Bible. You read about it some in Genesis. It's going gonna, it's gonna to explain why we have a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It explains why we need a sinless Savior. It explains why Jesus had to be born of a virgin by our works. It explains so much. In Genesis, we see the fall of man as foundational to God's epic story. And it's, it's pretty simple. The story itself is pretty simple. So it's, we're not going to spend a lot of time analyzing Genesis 3. We're going to look at the implications of this. Because the command to not eat from the tree, enjoy everything, everything in the garden. You can enjoy all of this. So Satan was wrong when he said you may not eat of the trees. That was making God's law broader than it was. It was just one tree in the midst of the garden, in the middle, that they were not to eat from as a reminder that they were under God's authority. So the tree stood as a reminder God was the king. God had the right to command them. God could say to them, you cannot do this and limit them. God could say no to something. You know, he said, no, you may not do this. And when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, they weren't just violating some arbitrary command. So it wasn't like, God was being unreasonable, and God said, don't eat this, but it was really something great. And it wasn't some arbitrary command. They were rejecting God's authority over their life. They were declaring independence from God. They wanted to be like God. They didn't like that God was in control, and God was the sovereign, and they were not, and they disobeyed God. And as soon as sin enters into the story, things get very messy, don't they? You read that this month in Genesis. I mean, it gets messy. Genesis 1 and 2 are so nice. Very good. And then they rested. And now there's this woman. And now they get married. And everything is very good. It was so blessed. And then all of a sudden, it just gets messy in Genesis. That's kind of the point of the book. That's part of the story. You know, at Brenner, uh, a lot of the, the high schoolers were reading through Genesis, and they were, one of the, one of the uh, high schoolers, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's some pretty rough stuff in this world. It's always been that way since Genesis 3, and it explains why. Because as soon as sin enters into the story, it gets messy. Because sin destroys our harmony between God and his people, and it destroys the harmony between each other. This explains why we have conflict and why we fight and why we argue and why we get angry and why we get proud and why we get offended. It explains so much this. Cain and Abel and the first murder. One of the first things we see happening is sin 
becoming rampant and it's rooted in jealousy and anger. And then as you keep reading through Genesis, as the population grows, so does the sin with each person. There's another person sinning against that person and then there's eight more people and it just, as the population, chapter six, verses five and six, where it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart, which is very, he can grieve God. The New Testament talks about character. He can grieve the Holy Spirit. There's something about God that when we sin and when we have these evil thoughts, it grieves the heart of God. And so in Genesis 7, we find the flood and God wiping out the earth for their judge all the people on the earth, almost all the people on the earth. Well, sin explains why. And I like how Kevin DeYoung captures this in his book, The Biggest Story. We have some pictures of this, I think. This is from Kevin DeYoung's book. I just, when I read this, I thought even the drawings are so instructive. Things were not the way they were supposed to the world. Everything fell apart after sin. God decided to, things got so bad so fast, terribly wicked in their heart to start over. The people on nonstop, they didn't deserve to enjoy God's world anymore. So God took it from them. And then I love the next page when you read it and you go to the next page. Or more exactly, he took them from it. He sent a flood that wiped away everyone and everything because it had all been stated. story of the gospel, but it explains why God did this. Now, what's amazing in the story in Genesis is God mercifully preserves Noah and his family, right? God says, I, I'm gonna wipe out the earth, but there's one man I'm gonna preserve, him and his family, Noah. What's the problem, though? The problem is Noah is a sinner. If you read Genesis, we find Noah getting drunk. And immediately find immorality. We find pride and violence and lying and wickedness. And you will find the reality of our problem really on every single page of God's Word. So every single page of the Bible from Genesis 3 on addresses the wrong with us. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If you keep reading that verse 10, it says the Lord understands it, but, but we don't even understand how sick we are. Jesus, as he's addressing the Pharisees and addressing peace on, well, they think they can get clean and pure purification, what they eat and what they do and washing of sin. They don't understand the devil. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they, it's not something out there. It's not society. You know, it's not pollution that's making you dirty. It's from within. The problem is somewhere inside of us. I love G.K. Chesterton. He was asked, they, they, they sent uh, this question to all these different journalists and writers. And they were questioned, what is wrong with the world? Per 
And here is what G.K. Chesterton wrote. The worser I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I, that's so, and that was the column they put in the paper. That was his answer. That's the biblical answer. Every worldview, every person has to answer the question, what's wrong? That sin inside of us is the problem. They get the solution wrong. They don't understand how to fix it. They don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what is sin? For many of you who went through children's ministry, if you went through the explorer's class on the other side of this wall, what is sin? The answer to what is sin in our new sitting or ignoring sin is rejected, created. Ignoring God in the doing what he requires in his law. Sin is living without reference to God. It's, it's acting like we get to decide what we want in life. And, and it just, it, it doesn't, that's not the way the world works. God is in charge. He decides. And so just think about it this way. If you were to walk off the Grand Canyon. How many of you guys have been to the Grand Canyon? We got to go this summer. A lot of, wow, that's great. A lot of you been to the Grand Canyon. Let's say you walked off the Grand Canyon saying, I don't have to live by the law of gravity. I don't believe in the law of gravity, and I'm going to live by my to me. What would happen? You would die. That's right. You would fall very far down, and you would die. You don't get to decide if gravity exists or not. It is a law. It exists. God created it. We are subject to it. That's what the Bible says about us made in the image of God. We don't get to decide how to live our lives. We don't get to decide, oh, is this right or wrong? Well, I think this is okay for me to do. It's not your decision what's right and wrong. God gets to decide. He's the creator. His laws apply to us. And sin says... What sin says is, I don't like what God said. So I'm going to do what I want. The problem do it my way. And sin is, is you. We're not problem with the world. Sin dwells within. In his book, uh, basically good, like most men for the teens, in the bookstore called The Enemy Within. They just came out with a new edition. It's written by Chris Lungard. It's, it's, a, it's a take of John Owen's sin and temptation, understanding the problem of indwelling sin. And in that book, he compares our hearts to a haunted house. Okay, who here likes fun? We got somewhat, Andrew's undecided, two, three. Wow, I thought a lot more of you would like haunted houses, okay? I do not like haunted houses. Maybe it's because I don't like surprises, and that's the whole basis of a haunted house. Around every corner, something jumps out at you, but I clearly remember my first haunted house I ever went into. I was in sixth grade. We went, we lived in Hohenwald, Tennessee, which is a small town in the middle of nowhere, and somebody, I don't know who, but they found an abandoned house, and they made it into a haunted house. And we went through the house, and people were jumping out at us, and I was screaming. I was in sixth grade, so my voice hadn't changed yet, so I can't even scream like I screamed back then, but I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and I just lights, and there was like blood on the walls, and a guy comes 
comes from around the refrigerator and starts a chainsaw and starts coming right at me. And this is small town Tennessee, so I don't think there are any laws about not touching you or anything. And literally puts the chainsaw up against my thigh. I didn't know you could take the chain off of a chainsaw. This close to passing out, but I was screwed out. I mean, at the top of my lungs. My friend Tim Baker was crying. His dad was laughing at us. I hate haunted houses because the whole premise is just to scare you. Bad things come out of haunted houses. And, and, and in his book, the end, it's the, it's, it's the bad stuff that comes out. It, it's the wickedness, it's the evil thoughts, it's the anger, it's the pride, selfishness. Our hearts are haunted houses. Sin corrupts our hearts. It dwells within you. It corrupts your desires. It corrupts what you want. It corrupts our mind, feelings, even think untrue and shameful things. It corrupts not be true, even our feelings. So your feelings are affected by sin. So just be true. Your feeling can, doesn't mean it's right. And that's why society says, no, whatever you feel is true. That's a lie. Our feelings have been corrupted by sin. We can feel things that are wrong and against God. They don't understand sin is the problem. So they think whatever you feel is fine. That's not true. It's what is good. We choose what is evil. Our whole nature is corrupted by sin. This is what theologians call total depravity. Good word for you to know. Total depravity. Every part of us. It doesn't mean Total depravity doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be because there is still the image of God and there's still good things we can tainted by sin. Our will, our emotions, part of our feelings, our affections, our thoughts. Every part of us has been tainted with sin. It touches every part of who we are as a person, okay? That's the problem with us. Recently, several folks in Relay Got to hang out with my time, tell some stories. You guys would have a hoot. Uh, and they asked my mom about my childhood. I was not there when this happened. Uh, I'm very concerned when I heard this happened. Uh, and my mom told them, which is absolutely true, that I had a terrible temper. Uh, it was a world-class temper. I was an angry little kid. And, and there's stories. My brother's four years old. One time I chased my older brother and sister, chased them a years older. My sister is seven years old, himself in a bathroom. And I around the house with a knife to the bathroom door multiple times. They called my mom from a phone and they were like, he's trying to kill us with a knife. And my mom said, I'm at work, figure it out. She's just like, my brother... Uh, and his friends, they were four years older, and they had a baseball card shop, and I love baseball cards, and they locked the door, and they wouldn't let me in. This is to our garage, a garage door, and so I remember going, oh, okay, fine, and I walked back to the house, and I got a baseball bat, and I broke the door down with a baseball bat. That is total depressing, so good there, and I remember the feeling of it out the back of the garage, good, breaking down the door, and they were feeling hits you real like through a field. And then like, I am in really big trouble. And I tried to blame my brother, you know, like it's his fault. He wouldn't let me into the garage. And I didn't understand the doctrine of sin. I was angry. And, and, ask, and, and let me ask you this. Do you think my parents taught me to act like that? 
Where my parents like, listen, okay? And you run and you try to stab them with it. Or, okay, Michael, we're going to work. Here's a baseball bat. You just hit that door down as hard as you can, little buddy. (laughs) No, we don't teach children. We don't teach ourselves how to sin. So where does that come from? Where did I learn that? Gives us the answer. The final sin, we are born sinful. We are born from a young age being sinners, okay? And I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, So try to stick with me because this is a debate that's still going on today that the church settled, you know, uh, 1600 to talk about this anymore. But it was a debate between two men, Augustine and Pelagius, okay? Uh, Augustine was a bishop in northern Africa. Pelagius was from Britain. He was a British monk. And Pelagius argued for the existence of free will. He said, no, every person has free will. And he had several of them. When Adam said that the sin, he said, sinned in Genesis 3, it doesn't affect every person born after, said every person into the same condition Adam was when he was created in a sinless condition. And he had a choice whether he would sin against God or not. So he said, Pelagius taught human beings are able to live free from sin if they want to. They have a free will. And this, I think, is probably the view Stin had once believed that. But as he studied the scripture, he came to understand the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of grace in salvation. And he understood what the Bible teaches that we are born inheriting sin from Adam. That every single person born is ourselves by our will. We can't save ourselves by our will because our will is a slave to sin. And we need God to come and set us free by his grace. Salvation is all of grace. It's not by our will. And, and they had this debate, and Augustine won the day, and the church condemned 418, okay? So this has kind of been settled. The church heard both sides, and the church said, no, no, we're not innocent. No, we're not without sin. No, we're not born with a free will. We are born slaves to sin who need the grace of God to come and set us free. And what happens is, I think the turning into, no, we're getting into this Pelagianism. We keep ourselves, no, people are innocent, good. No, people can decide for, that was, this was a huge part of innocent. You know, it's not there because works, salvation by works had crept back into the church. And Martin Luther and John Calvin, they said, no, you know, and, and where they went is to the doctrine of sin. They started with the glory of God, where we started last month. God is the creator. And then they started teaching the doctrine of sin. This is the reality of who we are as people, sin, who have sinned. And we will find this truth throughout the Bible as we study it. We are sinners. We are born sinful. We have sinned against a holy God. But we also find God's solution. This is what I love. Even in Genesis 3, God begins to make promises. I'm going to send one. He preserves Noah, and he continues going. And then he calls Abraham. And what does Abraham do? He's a liar. You know, he lies. He sins, and yet God doesn't remove his promise from him. And you're going to see this through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. All these people are sinners, 
but God preserves a Romans 5, okay? This, the sin of Adam comes back in the New Testament. So the New Testament agrees Adam's sin is given to us, okay? It's imputed to us. This is Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so when Adam, so one act of all men's leads to justification and life for all men. For as, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see what he's saying there? Because of Adam, sin has inherited this sinful disposition. It's in our veins. But Paul's whole point is just as Adam represented us, and through him we have become sinners God sent another man to represent us, Jesus Christ. And through him, through his act of righteousness, the many appointed someone made righteous. God of mankind, every person to represent us. And you are either under, as you meet everybody in the room tonight, or you are under Christ as your representative. That's what he's saying. Either you are in your sin opposed to God or you have accepted Christ as your savior and you are righteous before God. It's the only two places we can be. Those are the two representatives. That's who God has sent. He sent Adam, he disobeyed God, and then he sent Jesus and he perfect to do. It's amazing when you read through the gospels thinking about how sinless Jesus was. So here's, here's the point of the story, okay? We were born sinful. You were born sinful. I know you love those little baby pictures. You look so cute. You were born sinful. And because of that, we have all sinned against. In that state, God sent his son, Jesus, who was not born with a sinful nature. That's why he was born of a virgin. He was not born with a sinful nature. Jesus never sinned against God. And then he bore the punishment for our sins by dying on the cross and recognize I'm the problem. My heart, I'm the problem. When we confess we are sinful and repent of those sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he saves us. God forgives our sin. No longer are we under condemnation, but we're under grace. Okay, does he forgive part of God's epic story? But God give our sin in that moment. We love to give us a new heart. God, the Holy Spirit, longer dead in sin and no longer a slave to sin. I love this part of the story. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Because when we're born again, we're alive spiritually, and he gives us the ability to say no to sin and obey God, which is what we're created for. That's what most of the New Testament is written. It's written to Christians who are set free from sin. Even though they still wrestle with it every day, they keep telling them, no, 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 don't, don't let sin be your master. Be filled with the Spirit. No, put off your own have to on your new self because we're set free. And I love to be a slave to sin. And sin shall love how the story are. Sin didn't exist in the beginning of the story. Okay, we have exactly two pages uh, without sin. And then there's like a thousand pages with lots and lots and lots and lots of sin and Jesus coming to set us free. But then the last few pages, what we see is 
there's no more sin once again in the new heavens and the new earth. I love that garden and it ends in a garden. It begins with God's people in God's place in God's presence worshiping God and it ends with God's people in God's place worshiping God and it's all because of the blood of the lamb who sets us free from our sins. Sin is your enemy. Sin is the problem. You free from your sin and my prayer is every single one of you would love Jesus and you would be so thankful that he came so you could be set free from sin. You do not have to be a prisoner to sin anymore. In Christ, you can be set free. And I'm gonna pray for you that that would be your experience. And then we're gonna have, I pray for these teens tonight. I pray that you would open their eyes to see their sinfulness, God, not to condemn them, but to show them their need for a Savior, that they are in need for their sins. And this explains set them free from sin and to bear the the teens here. This explains so much of your sin. So I, I, I pray they'd ex- that you would set them free tonight by the Holy Spirit. I pray they would experience sanctification, that they would experience becoming more like Christ in their holiness. And I pray that you would protect them from sin and the devil and this world, which are out to destroy our faith. And we just pray that you would help us to overcome our sin tonight. Here's some discussion questions in families. So uh, if your family's not here tonight, just jump in with a family near you. Uh, We have members of our A team in the back, so uh, they can jump in if there's any teens who don't have parents with them tonight to lead you through these discussion questions. Number one, uh, sin is rejecting God's authority over reject God's authority. Number two, do you agree that all, that all are born with a sinful nature? So are you with Augustine? Or are you with Pelagius? We will find out. Number three, where do you see the effects of sin in your relationship with God and your relationship with others? And then number four, what solution? Uh, just trying to tee you up to be able to share the gospel with your kids. Once again, remind them the good news of what God did through Christ. So we got, about, we got about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. We'll have discussion time, and then I'll give us some directions for the rest of the night.